You're listening to the We Talk Seahawks podcast, a podcast brought to you by Seahawks UK. Stay tuned to our weekly episodes for pre-game and post-game shows, as well as fun and engaging discussions, and hopefully some special guest interviews along the way. Thank you for listening, stay tuned, and go Hawks! Ladies and gentlemen, Seahawks and football fans everywhere, a very warm welcome back to the We Talk Seahawks podcast. I hope you're all doing very well. Tough one, wasn't it, on uh, on Sunday, 17th and nothing over the Packers. One of the most head-scratching, frustrating games that I can remember watching in a, in a long time. And we're going to get into it tonight and also give a sort of a little bit of a preview towards the Cardinals towards the end of the podcast. Um, but joining me tonight, as always, is Mr Positive himself from now on. It is Pez. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good. I don't know about positive, mate. When... But- we don't score any points and we get blown out and Russ costs us a game. Yeah, yeah, you, you had it right. It's confusing. Um, I'm just, I wasn't even mad or annoyed. I, I was literally in our in the UK our time. It was just like midnight and I was just watching this game dazed like, what the fuck am I watching here? Like I was, I was baffled. I was just like, what is going on? But there's going to be a lot to say today, I reckon. There is going to be a lot to say. And uh, we've got an extra voice with us as well tonight. He's going to be joining us more regularly going forward. Um, If you've been listening to the last sort of um, get it off your chest episode, you'll have heard him with some of his rants and his uh, his opinions on that one. And you just thought, well, why why limit to to speaking to this fella on the uh, on the get it off your chest segments? Let's just let's just get him on the regular episodes with me and Pez. So he's here with us tonight, and he'll be here with us going forward as well. It is Mr. Josh Edwards. Josh, how are you, mate? Brilliant, lads. Yeah, I'm, uh, very much in the same sort of mindset as Pez. To be honest, I, I sat there at 12, 12 o'clock on Monday, well Sunday night, Monday morning, going, why the fuck have I stayed up to watch this? Oh. I, I, it usually you'll know it's a good a good game for me because I've, I've had like a beer a quarter I'm I'm enjoying myself I've gone through about half a can because I was just I was I was sat there watching this aghast like what's happened to our team where are they how are we getting blown out but yeah. I think we're going to discuss all that tonight so we are the only consolation was that it wasn't a one thirty a.m. kickoff or like a one fifteen because could you imagine staying up to like five half five in the morning for that so thank god it was only a nine o'clock odd kickoff um but yeah again one of the most frustrating games that i remember watching in a, in a long time and we're we're going to go over some of the players that we think did come out with it with a bit of credit because there is one or two that we've, that we've sort of picked out as a group that we'll, that we'll discuss so it wasn't completely doom and gloom there were the few little positives that were that were sprinkled in there but yeah clutching at straws a little bit with that one but and then obviously we will do the uh, the players with no credit as well, which we normally do. Um, and then we'll get on to Russell Wilson, because um, I think that was uncharacteristically one of his worst performances in, well, possibly in his Seahawks career, certainly in the recent years that I can think of. That was one of his most uncharacteristic performances. Was it his finger or was it just Russell completely mismanaging the game and, and, and being bad? You know, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, we'll get into a little bit about the coaching as well obviously we like our little say on Mr Pete Carroll on here as, or as Palpatine as we call him from time to time um so we'll get on we'll get on to him and whether we thought that coaching performance was uh, was more of the reason for the, for that defeat over someone like a Russell Wilson and, and sort of why did we just 
completely abandon the running game when it seems to be working. What was all that about? And we'll get into all that. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about a guy that I've sort of, I, I made that bold prediction that he'd lead the tight ends in the NFL in receiving yards at the start of the season. And I am kind of looking stupid now, but it is also kind of my fault that Pete Carroll and Shane Waldron and, and everyone aren't using him. Um, but we'll get into the fact of why we still drip feed in Gerald Everett when every time we get him the ball, he does something good. That's a, that's a, topic that I'm particularly frustrated on. I know the lads on here are as well. And then it's Positive Pez at the end of the podcast. It's his new little segment that he's going to be doing. He's going to find something, something as as clutch in a straw as he possibly can, Seahawks related, that he's positive about. Because ever since we started calling him Positive Pez, he's taken on this new alter ego that's just become the, the, the Pez we all prefer, the Positive Pez. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's got one or two things lined up that he's going to try and be positive about or try and spin anyway. Um, but should we start with anyone who didn't come out of that game with any particular credit? Anyone want to want to throw a name out there? Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. There's, there's an obvious Russell one. Wilson. Yeah. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. That's it. Did Bye. he play every position on the offence? Did he then? I'll, I'll add one more to that. <laughs> no, there is this... But also DK, they mm. they were my two hot picks for this game. I just thought that in tandem they were awful. Mm. Do, do you know the thing is right? It's everyone. So <laughs> Russell Russell Wilson takes the biggest blame. Yeah. Because I'm going to take you down what we like to call a hawk hole with this, but I'm going to link it with some of the off-season talk and a few of the things what, pe- what people in the media said about the whole Russ versus Pete thing, I'm going to bring it mm. to here. Um, nice. But before that, it's like it's everyone. So, like, Russ takes the biggest blame. Then the mm. receivers, they've got to take the blame as well because DK's like, um, you got you got you got to get the ball to your skill guys, but you've also got to try yeah. a little bit harder. He dropped you know that I mean? pass as well, didn't he? On that was it that third down or something? You know, dropping exactly. that key pass. Yeah. Exactly. Don't get me wrong. Russ was off all over the place, off. But then mm. the coaching staff have got got a thing like, "Fuck me." The air got let out of the Waldron balloon quicker than I think I've ever seen anything. But people, people need to understand. Like, I think that Colts game was. That was like Waldron, and you saw it in this game with the misdirection, with the like, the the disguising of plays and stuff, with mm. players moving all over the place. You saw it a little bit, and you just scratching your head. And it's like Pete, just fuck off, mate. Mm. We know you. We know you're fucking dumbing down. It's either Shane Waldron is gone. Do you know? He's gone too far too quick where it's overly complex instead of, you know, bedding in it basically, like the basics of his offense and then mm. building it over time. But I truly think Pete's just having too much to say. And I think it's more Pete's looking at things and going, oh, well, to me, that looks a little bit complex. So no, we're not going to do that. What, what else have you got? And things like that. Like mm. there's even footage to show like what's been surfacing around Twitter where. I know the head coach always has a say in mm. offensive plays, but at the end of the day, we've said it numerous times over this podcast. Pete 
is a defensive guy. He can't do offense. He's proven it over the whole, like, however many years it is now, his 12th year now in Seattle. He Just fuck off and leave the offense alone. Stop being a dick. Like, it's simple as in my opinion. Just stop being a dick and leave them to it. Like, it, mm. it, it's fucking... But that's... Before I go See, too con- far... Conversely, I was going to say, before you get on that whole call, I'm going to interject. Conversely, I think Baldwin's come in, he's put together this this scheme, which everyone in pre-season said, oh, we, we know all about it, we're all on board, we know all the, we know schematically exactly what we all need to do. It's obviously going to take some bedding in. However, this game stunk more of a Waldron offence than a Pete Carroll offence, because Carroll came out afterwards and said, for us to run the ball or hand the ball to our best running back on the day 11 times, it's not how we win a game. So the, it seems to me there's a bit of a power struggle going on. So Pete is run first football. You run, you draw the defence in, then you can throw the ball out over it. Fine, that's that. we've done that for far too long, in my opinion. But then you've got this Waldron-led offence, and you've got Russell Wilson, who just loves to throw it deep because he can, and he gets some glorious touchdowns, not taking that away from him. But I genuinely think there's now this power struggle where Pete, I think we've we've said it together where Pete is just a bit deflated now. Mm. And I think he's gone, Waldron, just do your thing, mate. That's what you're at the high idea for. Let's see if you can save our season. Waldron's done that with Russ in this last game. And whether it's Russ not being fully fit or schematically we just sucked arse against the Packers, something Mm. didn't work. We didn't, I would have loved to have seen the ball in Alex Collins' hands more. Yeah, because I genuinely think he's an exciting running back. He's not an RB one, but he's a very serviceable RB two, and he will do a decent thing for you. He's a nice, elusive, quick-footed running back as opposed to your tanks or Chris Carson. But you need to have that game to set up that pass. You don't have to run it more than you pass it, but you need to have that in there from time to time. And at the moment, it just seems they don't know whether they're going to be running it build for the pass or they're just going to try and pass it and fail miserably so I don't know it's a so, tough one so where I do agree with you and the run could have been bought in more in my opinion because every time Alex Collins got the football he looked quite explosive and he looked like he was finding his gaps and he looked like if it carried on he eventually could have broken off a big one and it could have helped but Alex Collins, in my so uh, having time to reflect on it, it's like okay, so you got Alex Collins, who's proven that really can't take a full game workload on his shoulders because he's he's injury prone himself. Who'd you who'd you turn to then? That <laughs> that that's true, but I mean, on while we're on Russell Wilson, I mean. That's as frustrated as I've ever been with a Russell Wilson performance in a long time. Take take the finger out of it, right? What's the worst thing you can do as a quarterback when we were desperate for a big play? We all knew we wanted a big play. We needed a big play to break the game up and get a touchdown. And, you know, what, what a 60-yard touchdown would have done for our confidence in that game. I completely get that. And I get why he's trying to do that. But what's the worst thing you can do, in my opinion, as a quarterback when you're desperate for a big play? 
for me is to show the opposition defense how just how desperate you are. Like you've got to disguise it. You've got to take that finger out of it. That should even be more of an encouragement for me to run the ball. Surely, by logic, if, if you've got a bad finger, and it's not like Collins was running the ball into brick walls. He was, I think, he averaged about four point one yards per carry with every carry he got. So he was moving the ball. We were moving the ball on <laughs> when we ran it. So I, I just, in terms of the quarterback, if it was if it was Zach Wilson, I mean, you could have told me Zach Wilson was in instead of Russell Wilson, and, and, I, and I couldn't have known any different because he, he, he managed that game like a rookie quarterback, like he was just trying to make the big play happen every time. We know that, we know Russ can be like that. You know what I mean, Josh? But it, it's like a, a quarterback of that calibre has got to manage a game better than that finger or, or what I don't care I think he tried far too hard and I've, I've written this like when I was actually now I'm, I'm that sad now that when I watch the games when we were doing our lives I like to take notes of like key plays and my thoughts of it but now I can do it on the podcast format which yeah, is yeah. better so I, I generally thought I think it was he was just subpar he was too tentative with his finger didn't want to make those big throws until it got to the point where he thought shit, my legacy's on the line here. I have mm-hmm. never been nilled. I've never been blown out. Mm-hmm. And then he he started to try and dial some stuff up, which works. But I think by then it was too late. He went through three quarters of scrambling to avoid any contact, uh, just going, shit, 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 my finger. Um, yeah. And then chucking it to no one to literally get into the last quarter where he went, right, I can win this. We can What's Pete's old adage? Can you win a football game in the first quarter, the yeah. second quarter, third quarter? Rah, 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 rah. And I think Russ took that to heart and he went, I am going to take this game on my shoulders. I am going to win it and I am going to be the hero. Mm. And he failed fucking miserably. And I'm not going to lie, I hate doing this on a Seahawks podcast, but I smiled a little bit because <laughs> I just thought you are not the team. Mm. You know, it, and anyone who's played a team sport, has coached a team sport, anything, it's not about one player, it's about a team as a whole. Fair, fair play, the quarterback is the most important player on that team. But without your receivers, without your tight ends, without your offensive line, you are dick all. And I think Russ proved that by trying to take too much on his shoulders and basically throwing that ball away in that fourth quarter. He made some lovely throws, but just couldn't put it all together for the full game. And cost us big time he should have yeah. stayed on the injured well should have got injured reserve and just stayed there for another couple of weeks well that's 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 an argument we had off air you know what why why play when he's not fully healthy with that finger um but yeah ego it, it, ego. ego ego and it would mean gino smith which you can sort of spell ego with if you take the g out of it anyway um is there anyone else i disagree that, with that sorry oh, but in there i disagree <laughs> In the sense that my brother turned around and went, I reckon Geno Smith could have won that game for us. And I swear if he's in front of me, I would have punched him in the face. <laughs> because that's the mo- like that's what's happened to... like My brother who's followed the Seahawks since 2005, die hard, passionate as they come, is... Like literally aggressively ranting about this team, and he has been for the last six years because he's seen this come. He's seen this coming. He's seen the slow regression. He got me on board after that Cowboys loss in the wild card. He, he he called it then, and he said this is a slow regression. And the worst thing about it is 
when it eventually shows its face for what it is, it's going to be too late to even mend. And we could be seeing that now to try and flip it into a like into a bit of everyone needs to calm the fuck down and stop getting over carried away with themselves. Oh, Russell Wilson just coming out quick. <laughs> right. Russell Wilson has played four times in Lambo. In four games, now think about how many touchdowns a year Russ gets. Mm. I should have got this stat beforehand. It's a good it's normally between four in, and fifty, isn't it? Somewhere in four in games at Lambo, he's only scored three touchdowns, and that was in two of four games. And his more recent years, he's left Lambo without a single touchdown, right? His passer rating in Lambo is 39.7, the, the game just gone, 69.7, 43.7, and 91.8, and that was earlier on in his career, where, in my opinion, I, I think if I remember rightly, I don't have the years there because I screenshotted it, I think that's when he had Bevel still. Hmm. Now, something I've been screwing on, before I take you down this little... Russell Wilson Hall of mine what I've been thinking is I think every ever since he lost Daryl Bevel Daryl Bevel is that his name? Yeah yeah Daryl Bevel we'll go with that anyway when he lost Bevel as a OC I think that's when the wheels started falling off this team because he, I think he was one of the first people who started out in Pete and Pete just fucking shot him off he's like maybe going against what Pete wanted to do. And this is in Pete's like prime years where he's still got a bit of the LOB knocking around. He's like, I don't need you because I've got my defense. And I think that hurt Russ the most because I think Russ was so effective in them years with Bevel. Because I think Bevel complimented Russ and helped Russ with his game. And then since that... You've just not found it again. Schottenheimer was never going to succeed. He's, he was fucking shit at the Jets. So that, Waldron, maybe he could. But that's something I, I just had a thought of that. Like, I kind of put the comparison together. But mm. to take you down, so we don't spend too much time on Russ, I'm going to take you down a little Russell Wilson hole here. I, I kind of started linking this game to a few comparisons to... A few, what a few media people said who were on like the Pete Carroll side of things that Russ is getting a, James said it as well, Russ isn't the team. But Russ, they like they're saying about his ego and like him and Sierra trying to be like the new Beyonce and Jay Z and you know, trying to like be an absolute fortress. Well, it, it looks like in America they've actually succeeded it, but he talks about legacy. But in this last two seasons, it almost feels like he, he's not thinking about football legacy anymore. He's thinking about his life legacy. Mm. And he's thinking about everything outside football. And the, the sole focus he's got in football is to try and get an MVP or at least a vote, which is yeah. why he's trying to win games by himself. So people look at him and go, Fucking hell, that Russell Wilson's all right. Why haven't you ever voted for him? Because you've got to think, last season, for the first half of the season, he was front-runner for MVP. Mm. Everyone was shouting his name. 
And now, no one is. So outside of football, his interests are his family, his new three brand, which I was this far away from buying a hat, and went, <laughs> actually, I don't like Russell Wilson that much to contribute to his pocket. Um, and that Sierra woman, who has had one song that I know well, know of, I have no idea who the fuck she is. And I used to be a DJ, Jesus. I have no idea who she is. <laughs> Says She's a lot. pretty big in America, like oh, obviously that says a lot more. But no, it's just this game stunk of this new personality. Russ, almost like media personality, Russ has turned into the ego, the I can do it, and it's getting a little bit misconstrued from always wanting to win, always wanting to do this, always wanting to do that to a bit. Instead of being ultra competitive and ultra confident, there's always that fine line between being very confident and being egotistical. And I think he, he I think he needs checking, in my opinion. Um, and that's a surprise for me because I'm not Pete Carroll's biggest fan. But it, there've been so, a few red flags, haven't there? But, but Pete won't yeah. say shit because Pete has actively said he wouldn't still be in a coaching job in Seattle without Russ. Anyway, lads, we've gone on a massive hawk hole with Russ. We've still got yeah. other players that performed well and didn't perform well and some other topics. Now, Pez, I know you're dying to get further into this Russ thing. I can see it no. on your face. <laughs> I was going to say... This is just a... This is a massive overreaction to one game where people need to remember. If Russ was fit and the season wasn't the way it was, Everyone, well, the, the shutout bit is a bit salty, but no one expects to win at Lambeau with Ross because he's never done it before. So people just need to keep that in mind. And so like, he, so he gets a free pass from from Pez. Nah, bullshit. Call him bullshit. I'm, I'm sorry, but any team who's willing to pay a player that much money, right? And sacrifice the rest of the cap space for the rest of his the rest of their team are morons. The I'll, I'll say this now: the first thing I do on Madden when I take over the Seahawks <laughs> is get the fuck out of Russell Wilson. I will take any QB on a lower contract because I would rather build a team of decent players without Russell Wilson than keep Russell Wilson there and go, oh shit, I'm scrabbling around for coppers. What have I got in the back of the sofa? Nah, nah. Right, we're going to just write all these notes down quickly. So <laughs> next week, five touchdowns up against the Cardinals and Packers. Well, that's not going to happen, is it? I've got this podcast and start going, yo, Russell Wilson, what an amazing guy. I bet you got a Russell Wilson jersey, really, in your bloody wardrobe, haven't you? I've, I've had one Russell Wilson jersey and it was, oh, it was cheap oh, because it was cheap off Marketplace oh, and I sold oh, it. Oh, <laughs> apart, from that, I, apart from that, I only ever go for 12 jerseys. I've got a loafer to two jersey, which is the first ever jersey I got, and all the rest have been had a, in fact, I had a Richard Sherman. That was one of the new ones. And then all the rest are 12, purely because I hate having someone's name on my jersey that could potentially fuck off to a rival. Jordan Brooks. I'll tell you who's someone's jersey I won't be getting is fucking Carlos Dunlap. <laughs> that, that's someone's jersey I won't be getting. What on, mate? That's that, someone that, who gets. That was peak shithousery. It was. It was just brilliant. It was like, oh, your shoes here. Yeet. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> there's, 
as as funny as it was, it was like for 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 someone of that veteran standard, and something that we paid him a lot of money as well for him to be lobbying. If he wants to lob shoes, I'm sure there'll be a sport for that in the Olympics or something in a few years. He's he's more than welcome to train for that. But while he's on the pitch for the Seahawks, it's like you you're getting paid fifteen odd million or something. It's it, it, I'm I'm sure it was it, it gifted them like a first down and they were in the red zone yeah. and and they went and I don't know whether they had but I can't. They were on third down when he did that. Yeah, exactly. Instantly put them back to first. I I laughed because I'd be lying if I hadn't done that to someone's scrum in rugby. As soon as it came off the red, I'd go, but that's amateur rugby. When it's professional football, with how many refs are there? There's, what, four refs? Five referees? Uh, I should really know. I've followed it long enough. But you're never going to get away with it. And the fact there's so many camera crews as well, like for everyone, like if you're not a Seahawks fan, people are giggling their tits off because it was a funny bit of media. It's a good Mm -hmm. meme. However, as a Seahawks fan, when we're looking at it and it's costing us a first down in the red zone, ridiculous from a veteran. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we didn't have to have some memes in that, like played DK running on after getting ejected and Dunlap throwing shoes. I mean, as funny as it is at times, it, it just stinks of, and we'll get onto it again in a bit, but it just stinks of bad discipline and bad coaching. We can't seem to coach out bad penalties and, and stupid penalties. So you make a point there. Um, what I'll bring up here quickly in this segment of shit is... I listened to the Man to Man podcast and they made a very, very valid point that this team is just losing. You said it, James, like the identity of this team, like this, the system doesn't work. Pete Carroll was quoted in the media saying, basically, his main weapons are DK, Tyler and Gerald Everett. So he's hmm. only on offense. He's only scheming three guys even though Penny Hart year after year has this amazing chemistry with Ross in training camp, but they don't scheme him into the game. Freddie Swain doesn't get schemed into the game. He's just a check down guy who every now and again, Russ ad libs when he gets open. And Big Will, Will Disley. You cannot, you cannot say that without Big Willie style in there because that yeah. man, every time he gets the ball, I think he got the he ball made- onto him once. But he still yeah. made positive yardage, and every time he gets the ball, he makes positive yardage, and that's what you want from a tight end of his size. You don't want him like Gerald Everett's an extra wide receiver, but Will Disley is a big tight end. You pass him the ball, let him truck over a couple of people, make you three, four yards, and that's all you need because you can build off that. But it frustrates me to see the fact that he doesn't get enough ball because he's been there for so long, yeah. And- he flashed really well. Like first couple, like a couple of seasons ago, he scored like what three touchdowns in three games or something. Mm-hmm. I should really check my stats on that. And then he got injured. And it seems every time he's come back, he's just got less and less ball. But every time he gets the ball, he proves why he needs more. Mm. And the fact they don't scheme for him and they go out and sign someone like Gerald Everett as if to be like, right, Will, we know you've done all right. Thank you. But mm. yeah, no tar. They've got another tight end there. Me and you talked about Pez as well. In, in, Colby, in Colby Parkinson. Yeah, who's six foot seven, played at Stanford, <laughs> didn't drop a pass, hasn't dropped a pass in the NFL, I don't think, when we've got him the ball. Massive red zone weapon. Russell isn't being particularly efficient in the red zone this season when he's played. Like, why why, why can professional coaches I not think that's a lie, these? James. 
What what's the lie? Um the red zone. I don't I think, think he's that, C- I don't think he's particularly I, efficient in the red zone. I think the Seahawks are one of the top teams for for efficiency D- in the red zone. DK is the number one rated receiver by PFF in the red zone. It's like ninety five rating. It's number one rating. Check your stats, James. What I mean by that is is, where does does Russell Wilson normally excel in terms of the field? It's between the 280 yard marks for me. It's it's between, not the 280 yard, the The 220 yard mark. Yeah, it's between the 220. We've flushed him, Josh. I'm not saying he's bad in the red zone. I'm just saying when when he's struggling, which he was against the Packers, to get to finish off drives and to score touchdowns, You've got you've got a man made as as good a natural tight end end zone weapon there, to, and, and we and we can't scheme him into our game. It's like what Pete said. We it's like oh we couldn't get Eskridge the ball, we couldn't get Penny the ball. Why? Well, because we couldn't find the opportunity. We couldn't scheme them in. Just get them in. You don't scheme them in. No, because the thing is right in the pre-game scheme he does in the pre-game mm. plan he does. He doesn't scheme them in. So when DK's getting double covered, Tyler's getting double covered, that's the reason Gerald Everett had an 8 for 8, 8 for 8 this game. Because the two were just getting double covered because everyone's cottoned onto this team now. And it's, it's, it is really hard to get away from the, the glaring problem with this football team is the culture, everything's gone now. We've said it numerous times and this game proves it time and time again. This whole always compete. No, you don't compete in, at the Seahawks facility anymore because Pete Carroll just basically, there's certain players, essentially veterans, who get a buy straight into the team. Carlos Dunlap hasn't really been good this year. Like, but time and time again, because they paid him the contract and because of a couple of players last year, he, he gets a free pass into this team Week in, week out. When so Dunlap's up one of your withouts. Oh, I, what was that? for me, yes, for me, so definitely. Dunlap came out without credit. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because right. the thing is, time who, and time who, again, who came? Pez. <laughs> now Hawk Hall here, mate. Right. <laughs> Let's get positive. Come on, Pez. You are you're the master of positivity. Who came out with credit from this game? Come on, I can see how frustrated you are, and you're like, oh, oh you God, come on. I know you want to say his name. Go on. I want you to say his name, James. Jordan can Brooks. I... Yeah, I've said it. Go on, then. You can, you, you can, you can gush over him now. <laughs> right. So, I, I, looked, I looked at the stats, and he's there in all his glory with 10 tackles, <laughs> nine solos, three assists, a tackle for loss. What was an amazing tackle for loss? Because Shokanori... Shooting him through a gap in, in the line is something he does very fucking well. I don't know how to break film down. I can't tell you what a stick route, goal route, fucking bowl route is. I don't know any of that shit. But something I can fucking tell you by watching college highlight tapes and Jordan Brooks is you shoot him through a fucking gap, he's gonna he's gonna do someone in. He proved it against Stafford. He proved it today when he bottled up the running back to stop him on that. Was it the third down, the important mm-hmm. third down, where he basically mm-hmm. got him off the field? Mm-hmm. And he's there time and time and fucking again. And yes, he hasn't been great at the start of the season and everyone's jumped on his fucking back because of his coverage. But 
Has no one stopped to think that maybe this, um, seeing as we, we are three and six, this amazing coaching staff we've got, maybe he's just not playing him right. Because he had, some people complained about it. Some people kicked off about why was Jordan Brooks um, covering Val, Valdez Scantling mm. in the middle of the field. And I watched that and I thought, what are these fucking idiots on about? That was great <laughs> coverage. Yeah. And they were like, oh yeah, but he nearly caught it. Yeah, because you've got Aaron fucking Rodgers on the other side of the field. If you had Daniel Jones, <laughs> fucking Zach Wilson. Russell Wilson. If you didn't have, no, no, no. If, if, you, if, you had, if you didn't have Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Stafford maybe. Maybe just, Maybe a Josh Allen, Stafford, you know them kind of guys. Mm. That pass was never being made. Mm. Like it was an impossible. Really, it was. It had to be pinpoint accurate because of how the coverage Brooks did. Mm. Uh, but then you see other times where they put him in these coverage um, situations. What they don't favour him. Stop putting yeah. him in situations. What is just unfavourable for him. Do you know like, what? It's good to see. It's good to see. It is. It, like Brooks was excellent. Yeah, he, he was excellent, and and we always give him and and he is excellent. I think the problem Brooks has, into, which is absolutely not his fault whatsoever. I think Seahawks fans just we, we've been blessed with Bobby Wagner now as middle linebacker for however many years he's been here now, and I just think people want. It's kind of being unfairly sort of. I don't know, maybe compared to what in terms of what we want to like, what people expect to see from Seahawks line. Like, we've had Wagner, we've had KJ Wright. It's like, you know, just let him be Jordan Brooks. We don't, do you know what I mean? Do you know the issue is with it, right? Is he will be twice as good once he takes Bobby's place. And some Seahawks Mm. fans, the bl- like the blind loyalty they've got because that Green Bay game, like it wasn't Bobby's best game, and I'm not going to shoot him down whatsoever because I don't, I'm not on the bandwagon of people who just try and drip any little stat they can find to show that he's fallen off. Mm. But I don't agree with that, no, at all. But not being blind to the fact that he's ageing now, he's getting on a little bit, especially in a team what is essentially crumbling by its foundations. It's going to be hard for a player of his age who's been in the league this long and been at the very top for that long to be able to sustain that standard with a crumbling foundation underneath him. But this is, this is indicative, however, of Bobby Wagner's tackle numbers every single season so you look at the last few seasons the reason he's getting so many tackles is because running backs are running through our d-line and they're playing all these like, all these quarterbacks know that they can play these nice little short stance right in the middle of the field they'll make four or five yards and wagner's going to tackle them but they're like fuck it i'll take those four or five yards that's still was marching forward and every time wagner's there like, i agree he is getting on but if I was in the same shape as him, and what, I'm 37. He's 33, 32 maybe? 32, I think, yeah. Yeah, if I was in his shape at the age of 32, I'd be laughing. 
right? Oh. You know, but it, the fact of the matter is, professional sport, when you hit 30, that timer ticks quick. Mm. And to agree with Pez, he is getting on. So we as Seahawks fans need to look, start looking beyond these players that have been there for eternity, who we love. People like Jordan Brooks are the future. They just need to learn to scheme for him. Speaking of players of the future, we had a chat about this off air. Trey Brown. Yeah. Brilliant. Do you know what's funny? Do you know what's funny about him? But one thing I can say about Trey Brown, because I'll let you two just rhyme about him. <laughs> just classically. Do you know the funny thing about that guy? I looked at the stats, the defensive stats at the end of the game. I always look to see who's done what. DJ Reed. And like tackling, I know for a cornerback's a bit scarce, but mm. DJ Reed, three tackles, three solos, three assists, two passes defla- uh, defensed. What? Trey Brown, no tackles, no solos, no assists, nothing except for one pass deflected. Now that makes me think that Aaron Rodgers actually targeted DJ Reed more than Trey Brown. But- yeah. That those stats are bullshit though, because he didn't deflect that tackle, did he? Or is it classed as incomplete? Because when he absolutely smashed Lazard, mm. didn't he drop that ball? Because it was an incomplete pass. Yeah, yeah. Pass the tackle does it because he didn't have the ball. God, yeah, so it's, I'll it's just a I'll get back in your box. <laughs> yeah, get back in your box on my positive law, right? <laughs> On the bare facts of it, without like going too much into stats of it, on the bare look of it, DJ Reed got targeted more than Trey Brown. And mm. that is a massive tip to what he can be. Oh, I like, it. like I say, he's um, sort of talking to a little bit of you off air and that. It doesn't. Obviously, we're still yet to see any terms of like physical, like ball production in terms of interceptions and stuff like that, which you know will hopefully come in time. You know, he's still a very, well, you know, he's a rookie. He's still only played in what three or four games now. Um, obviously, coming off IR as well for six weeks, so that makes it even more impressive from what he's come back from. Um, but he's 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 gone up against some pretty pretty good receivers to come off IR from. It's not like he's just been thrown up against the worst receivers in the NFL. He's played some, against some pretty pretty top receivers. And and like I say, he's, he's, I mentioned to you, Josh, as well, it, it, the only cornerback not to give up a play of 15 yards in, in terms of the rookies this year. Let's just put an asterisk as well by that coming off IR. Coming off IR on his rookie season. In his rookie so season. Mm. When, you, when you look at the, our starting cornerbacks now, so you look at Reed and you look at Brown, they are two... Two cornerbacks who are as far from Pete Carroll's stereotypical cornerback yep. as you could think. Well, Reed is sub six foot, isn't he? He's 5'10, yeah, 5'11, yeah. yeah. And then I think Brown might be just over the six foot mark. But he's not this long, lanky, rangy cornerback who is going to intercept passes. However, we've now got two very aggressive tackling cornerbacks who people don't get past mm. i mean the one thing i love about reed is that even if a ball is thrown beyond his coverage you'll always see him in the mix trying to mm. tackle trey brown and i said this to you earlier jamie just just look at his college highlights he was smashing people and he mm. loves that close contact he will front up every time 
and it gets to a point where receivers don't want to get near him because they you can see like, so there's some replays I've seen where receivers have literally caught the ball knowing Brown's near him and he's just got this scrumpled up face like, oh shit, this is going to hurt. And that's what we need. If you have that fear as well, you don't need some six foot eight lanky cornerback. You need someone yeah. to put the fear of God into people. So even if you've got a QB like your Rodgers, your Allens, anyone like that, throw into these wide receivers, they've got one eye on the cornerback as well, which is going oh, to be yeah. a massive help. And if he's not letting over 15 yards, you know, I'm more than happy with that as well. Oh, he's, uh, he's certainly been one of the standout players so far from this pretty pretty dismal season. But, um, I mean, is there anyone else in terms of, before we move on, is that we want can, to give a, give a call out can, to? Can we just say, we, we have whinged <laughs> to to high heaven for weeks about this man, but Jamal Adams. No, no, no. Oh, let James shivering. say, let James talk about this. <laughs> we'll let James talk about this one. What? what? Right. He, he, he made an interception in the back of the end zone on an underthrown ball. Let's not, let's not get totally carried away. Let's not get totally carried away. I'll, I'll give him credit. I'll give him credit. He came up with it, but let's, let's just sort of, you know, Let's just calm down a little bit because he's he's still got a lot to prove, in my opinion. That's Purely the... for me, this this game, he you didn't see many people get by him. Obviously, he had the interception, no. which means that we know his hands aren't made completely of stone. No, no, but he's he's actually starting to look more serviceable than he has done previously, which is why I put him in my player to come out with some credit column because he's That's gone fair. from like a what a two. And he's reaching about a five or a six out of ten, mm. purely because he's doing a safety's job. So mm. people are coming towards him, he's smashing them. You know, people are, you know, a ball got thrown into the end zone and he was there. And all the time that ball was in the air and I was watching it on the telly and I saw Jamal Adams in the end zone. I was like, oh, fucking hell, that's going to get dropped. And he caught it. And that was the only thing that made me jump off my, my chair. Oh, I'm with you on that. I think that's where, that's where that half beer went. <laughs> you know that that was it but I, I, fair play to Jamal there's, there's yeah. been a bit of an upturn and I think it's because Ken Norton is starting to realise how and where he needs to utilise some of these players so mm. if, if he's now obviously you look at our cornerback situation where we had Trey Flowers for a while DJ Reed, and then we had Sidney Jones who looked fantastic in college has not been able to produce in the NFL and now they've gone DJ Reed and um, Brown, which are, uh, I think, it's a fantastic hard-hitting tandem, which will make wide receivers not want to run that way. Brilliant. You've got Jamal Adams, who is starting to have an upwards turn. I'm not saying he's a superstar. You know, we know he's a good player on his day, but he's 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 on the upwards curve. And then you've got Quandre Diggs in that backfield as well. Quandre Diggs has been out and out our best, you know, oh, backfield yeah. player. Easily. Easily. Absolutely. Um, I put him in there just purely because you know, I thought he needs some credit for something. That's fair. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is with Jamal Adams um, in these last couple of games? People can't take it away from him. Um, really, from that Rams turnaround game where the defence started switching on a little bit, from that game to now, and he showed it even more in the Green Bay game, is it's almost like because of who he is and essentially the like air of superiority he has about himself, 
call it extremely confident, call him arrogant, whatever you want to do. But because he's like that, I think he's only now trusting what he's got around him. Mm. And I think, like, he knows Quandre. They spoke about how they've been mates for years. So Quandre is not the issue. I think it was building that chemistry with DJ Reed, even though he's all like, you know, hype guy and he's all like, yeah, yeah, everyone's mate. It's actually properly building that respect with DJ Reed that he can do his job mm. and he doesn't have Trey Flowers next to him anymore. <laughs> he's actually got he's actually got a serviceable kid who who's showing his worth and it's almost like because I'm sure in the Green Bay game, for one of the first times in a while, he was like the deep free safety. But Meaning he, he's on his own in the backfield. He's the, the Earl Thomas role. And you, you think, oh, fuck that. Name a play what got past him the whole game. Exactly. And this is what I mean. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there. He's got confidence in the people around him where I think he was, he was, his whole performance at the start of the season was scuppered by the fact that he was playing essentially two roles. So he was marshalling his own area as a safety, but then he was also having to play as a half cornerback as well, because if he had Trey Flowers in front of him, I bet it was like, oh God, I've got to try and tackle this guy. That's one of the things I took out of that game. Our tackling is awful. It's awful. Technically, Mm. everything about it, the, the leverage, where our feet are, where we try and hit is just terrible. And I think... Trey Flowers, I've said this before, one-on-one, if anyone runs directly at him, he's never going to tackle him. He, he's got the worst body position ever. And that's where Jamal Adams literally looked at plays and where he could diagnose a play from safety and he'd go, oh, shit, that ball's going straight to someone who's going to run at you know, Trey Flowers. So I've got to get over there as well, mm. which then just draws him out of position all the time. So it gets to a point where if you throw to Trey Flowers enough previously, you're going to end up drawing Jamal Adams over, which frees up some more space in the middle of the field. And that's where it's all gone wrong. But now I think with that confidence he's got with people around him, he's he's genuinely starting to, to show that he's a more than serviceable safety. And I'm hoping as the season progresses, if we start playing the way we are, keeping the, the people we've got in that starting role, those starting roles, then he'll have more confidence. In, I, I, I'd, love to, I'd love him to get another one or two picks. I'd be happy with that because mm. he's currently I think t- currently tied with that. What was his name? Is it Will Ford or Will Ford, the the big mm. uh, D tackle who Will used to Ford, play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who used D- to play for uh, the Patriots and stuff? Um, <laughs> the thing is with him, I, th- I think it's also like a, it's going to be for a pl- uh, for a personality like himself. I think um, that interception is really going to open the floodgates for him to start having that confidence to proper attack a football because someone put a video up a bit ago and like some of the, some of the balls he could have easily caught. It's like, it's almost like he didn't attack the football. If you know Mm. what I mean? Like Mm. he didn't have the utmost confidence that he's going to get this football. So it's a bit more edgy because if he goes and attacks it and it bobbles off his hand and then their receiver catches it, they're essentially in that part of the field, it's a touchdown, isn't it? Whereas yeah. I think now with that, even though it was, let's face it, he was on a fucking plate, he was there at the right time, but at least he can show but it, he's got but it should be. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you get to the big books for. Last person um, that I thought came out with some cred 
Go on. I was very conscious of, of, of how, how many hawk calls were falling down on these players. <laughs> Gerald Everett, we mentioned him earlier, and the fact that he actually got the ball was, for me, mind-boggling. But it's the fact he showed what he could do. Mm. I just wish, in a game, we actually used him, Disley, and like, yeah. like you said earlier, Pez, the, the wide receivers, even Hart and Swain, and Eskridge when he comes back in just to mix it up, just to show all these different looks. So the defence goes, Jesus Christ, who are we going to throw to? Because that's what we were all saying at the start of the season, was you look at our, our receiving core now, it is, it's it's class. We've got two oh. of the best wide receivers in, in the NFL, you know, especially stats-wise last year. We've got two fantastic tight ends, both of whom are different. You've got a, a quick athletic tight end, like Everett. You've got a big... Looking mainly blocking tight end like Disley, but he can run with the ball. And then you look at the other three receivers that we've got in there, like Hart, Swain, and Eskridge. Start chucking them the ball as well, and that's just going to spread the field out so much that people don't know where it's going. Mm. The fact that Everett actually got some ball, did some stuff with it. I'm hoping that was going to op- that's going to open up so many calls now for for Wilson or yeah. whoever's calling those plays. Yeah, so um, we'll we'll stay on him for it because it was one of our topics. It was like, why are we still drip feeding him so much? I mean, yeah. do we think that's Russell Wilson trying to force the ball to DK and lock it too much? Is it a scheme thing? Is it? Because oh, it's just it's just head scratching, mate. I think it's a scheme thing. Yeah. Um, I, I genuinely, I honestly, I genuinely do. Because um, I was about to say when James was talking then uh, about <laughs> receivers and getting everyone involved in this, that, and the other. Um, a lot of people said like the OBJ and like if you don't think we need OBJ then you're stupid because you can't have enough talent and Russ is screaming for OBJ and Russ is screaming for AB and do, do you know what the thing is right? Take a look at what Tom Brady did with the New England Patriots all them years and name me the wide receiver core except for Julian Edelman. Antonio Brown. Um, no, 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 no. Antonio no. Brown was there for like half. No, no, <laughs> Come no, no, on. no, no, no. Amendola was good. The early, the Amandola early years when he was winning, when he was in his peak of winning Super Bowls and constantly being there, back to back to back. That except Randy for Moss. Edelman, he had Randy Moss for a season or two, didn't he? Well, everyone knows who Randy Moss is. Philip Dorsett, who we had and did nothing yeah. to send my half a whole year. <laughs> But this is the point. He had he had that kid called he Hogan. He had Gronk oh, yeah. as well. He's got, but Gronk doesn't yeah, count. Yeah, yeah. But I think what, what Pez is on about is that you, you don't need to have superstars. You need to have exactly someone who can get the best out of your players. Hmm. And and we said this on the live. And I'm I'm with you that I don't agree with people. Oh, you can never have too many superstars. You can if your normal superstars don't get the fucking ball. If your Lockets, your Metcalfs, your Everett's are not getting football, then what chance has someone like OBJ got to get in the mix as well? I mean, look at look what's happened with him at LA. I, I don't even know how many receptions or how many times the ball was thrown at him in the last game. But all I know is that he looked shit because he wasn't getting enough ball. So nah. you can have too many stars. Nah, I disagree with that. Like, Robert Woods went out. He got he basically got thrown in at the deep end. There was a pick where him and he 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 stopped his route and Stafford thought he was gonna carry on his route like that. You can't He's a really professional take wide Sam- receiver. 
I'm sorry, I'm but, not taking that. He's getting paid millions. If if he stopped his route because he doesn't know the route tree that the LA Rams have instilled that Stafford's throwing to, that's on him. That that is purely him. If your one job is to know a route tree, know whether you've got to cut in, you've got to fade back, whatever, that is on you. That is your job. And the big thing in American football that they say is do your job. And if you can't do it, he's getting paid millions for fuck all. I, dis- I disagree with that. <laughs> not in a couple of days. Not with a wide receiver. Not with a quarterback he's never played with. And in a couple of days, do you want to learn the Sean McVay offense in a couple of days? If I was getting paid as much as OBJ, I would be up for 19 hours a day like Russell Wilson was getting rehabbed. Just to learn it. (laughs) No, no. no. It made cringe. Honestly, he's a cringy guy. He's a proper cheesy guy. But that was beyond me. Like getting up during the middle of the night and like getting my finger rubbed off and shit and it's like oh <laughs> my, mate my mate sent me a well meme. what did it do what did right. it do yeah, it, exactly. it got you it got you back into a game where you absolutely whiffed and you lost the team a fucking match who's already yeah, but... struggling the clambering onto their fucking lives and you come in Thinking you missed the fucking Superman, oh, no, gee, now he's on my finger during the middle of the night, and you did fuck yeah. all. No, We're not getting on fair, this. Not... To be fair, if if I was him, I wouldn't mind getting woken up by Sierra to give me finger a little rub during the middle. Of the night. <laughs> so so maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he did. I could you know what I mean? <laughs> finger rub at two in the morning. It was see, but my as soon as, as soon as he came out with that press conference saying I was up for nineteen hours a day getting rehabbed, my friend just sent me this meme of that, and underneath was Carl Pilkington just going bullshit. I had to laugh at it because it was like it's so true. Go on, right? But get back we, on we, Everett. I, I, I think yeah, back on Gerald Everett. I think we we've done Russ, Russ's performance to death, haven't we? Yeah, we have, yeah. Yeah, but Gerald Everett, go for it, James. Well, I'm just, I just, he, we signed him as the guy, the tight end who was leading the NFL in yards after the catch at like 14.1 yards average. So it's, it's widely known that Gerald Everett is, by that standard anyway, possibly the hardest tight end to bring down in the open field in the NFL. And yet we give him the ball. You see that he can do that. You see it's not bullshit. He does it when he gets the ball. He's a nightmare to bring down. And then, oh no, we'll just we'll just try and force it into DK and a double coverage and lock it. And 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 then, like say, because it was only really on that last drive where Russ was just trying to sort of seem like calling his own players and everything like that. That he then gets the ball to Gerald Everett, and and I think he got about seventy percent of his receptions on that final drive. And he and it looks like he has a decent day with sixty plus yards. But other than that last drive, he must have only had 10, 20 yards on the day because we just weren't getting him the ball and it's and it's similar with Will Disley like you said Josh he's he's not the yards after the catch monster that Everett can be but we've seen what he can do we, we've got two tight we've got a tight end duo there that a lot of other teams would love to have in terms of the ability that we've got and we just seem like we just completely neglect them and just to try and sort of feed the ball to these superstars that we've got because that's what everyone wants to see it's like I like seeing DK Metcalf catch 60-yard bombs, but I also like seeing the Seahawks win, and I like seeing the Seahawks move the ball. I was about to say the exact same thing. Do you know what I mean? I just, I just want to see us win games. I don't care how we win games. Mm. I, I don't care if we rush 
a hundred times in a game just to chip away at three, four yards every play. And we go through our whole stacked roster of running backs. Not that Travis Homer or DJ Dallas are ever going to make you hard yards. But, you know, if that was the case, I'd be happy with that. I would happily be a boring football team that won rather than a one-dimensional football team that's been figured out, but Carolyn's playing one-dimensional football and loses. We as fans will see it. We, we as fans, and we said this on the live, we see the fact that we, we don't mix up coverage enough. We will just throw in between the numbers to DK and Lockett. That middle of the field, it's like Russ has got reverse blinkers. It's like he's, it's like he's only got chameleon eyes that see out to the side. He can't see the middle of the pitch. It, it baffles me. It really does. Yeah. And when you've got players like them, you'd think just use them. Do you know, um, I think the reason why he's, it, you are right, he's pigeon, like, I think as the years have gone on and how stagnant this team's gone, whether that's on Russ himself or on the scheme, the system, and maybe Pete's actually pigeonholed him into this by scheming up them type of plays because that's what he's best at doing. I think there is, I reckon if we looked into it, there is an element of safety by throwing to the numbers over throwing through the middle for picks. Yeah. So you throw There's to the numbers. More coverage in the middle, yeah. Yeah. You throw to the numbers, it gets deflected, bubble, whatever, it goes straight out. You throw into the middle, you've got more risk. Now, I, I remember this team when I first started watching 2011 into the Super Bowl years and things. And... The thing what blags my head the most is Rush used to target the tight ends all the time. He used to throw it all over the field. Now, it's so hard to understand. Like I think you'd have to go back in every single year and watch the change to try and figure out whether, is it Russ he's developed into this guy who only throws to the numbers, or is it Pete who essentially used Rust all these years so he's just done a scheme on the offense to suit Russ's strengths and not expose him anymore, mm. but selfishly for his own gain. Like, can you not see what's happening here? This whole podcast, it's so hard to not get drawn. Anything you talk about, positive or negative, it gets drawn back into mm. Pete and Russ mm -hmm. because that's the underlier here. That it really is the underlier here. Like, Pete, whether Russ has got an ego and whether Russ wants it to be his team or whatever, I, I personally don't bite into that thing. I think he genuinely is a guy who he just wants to win, win, mm. win, win. And he, now, because he's so desperate, it might be coming across as egotistical and, you know, arrogant. But because he's desperate now, he's like, I, I genuinely think he doesn't want to leave Seattle, but he's coming to his final tether where if Pete doesn't fuck off and they get someone to compliment Russ, a bit like Tom Brady did with the Patriots, I, I think he, 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 his hands are going to be forced. And I think that's why he's coming across as this self-centered, egotistical um, character now. Because his hands are being forced because he's so desperate. Because 
it's 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 horrible. Like, look at it. The the system's broke. The si- ever since the halfway through last year, the system is broke. The offensive system is broke. The defense is broke. Let's not fucking get sideways about this. They had to have a chat last year, and they sorted everything out. They've not really changed personnel much on the defense, but they had to sort things out again. You are the defensive head coach who can't sort his own defense out because all that seems to keep cropping up is how this offense has an issue. Just like everything about this place, the culture, the mm. everything is just fucked. While, while, whilst you're on... Yeah, go on. Just if you want to finish it off. No, it's just that is the bottom line for me. That... It, it, we, we we bleat on about it and it's like nauseam now. But mm. you, you get shut out. You get shut out in a game that realistically you watch it and we should have fucking won because Aaron Rodgers stunk as shit. Mm. I mean... But it raises his ugly head. And as a podcast, as we're talking about reactions and what we've seen, it raises its ugly head straight back to what the fuck's going on with this fucking club. Behind the scenes, yeah, and 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 I, I want to bring in the sort of little coaching aspect that I had down there because we talked about Russ, and like I say it's so hard not to talk about Pete and Russ, but in more general terms, not just Pete, in terms of coaching as well, I wanted to bring up like we've got two first round picks and a second round pick that Pete says we can't scheme into games in 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 the sense of Collier, Penny, and Eskridge from last night. He said it, there's two first round picks and a second round pick that. Or we couldn't get them involved because we couldn't find out how to use them and how to scheme them. So that's that's that says enough in in that sense. There's still such a continued lack of discipline with with the stupid penalties with Amadi and Dunlap and and stupid false starts that we've continuously seen for years now that haven't been corrected. We still can't defend screens and little jet sweeps that we haven't been able to defend and have struggled defending for years, arguably since. The, the days of Dan Quinn and the last defensive coordinator. We've not, we haven't been able to sort that out under Ken Norton. We still can't tackle particularly well in the open field when guys get to the sidelines and get into the backfield. That, that, that That's still an issue. Why why can't we coach guys up at that at that position? And why do we move away from running the ball when we, we pass 67% on first down and 77% on second down against the Packers? And it didn't work. We run the ball. Collins gets an average of 4.1 yards per carry, and we move and, and we and we and we and we scrap that because we want to keep passing the ball into the. In, and let, let's not forget the Packers have got probably one of the best secondaries in the NFL. They didn't even have Jair Alexander, and it's still probably one of the best secondaries in the mm-hmm. NFL. So we still want to air raid attack there. It's just so amateurish coaching and and things that we've seen for not just a reaction from the Green Bay game, but I thought that game highlighted so many of the issues that we talk about in one game altogether. The, the tackling, the the stupid penalties, the lack of discipline, the not getting guys that we've invested highly on involved. It like what on earth is is there's so many red flags and it's not sorted. Do you, do you want to know from from a coaching standpoint? Um, and I, I say this having coached in difficult situations in another contact sport. Like it's all well and good setting up a philosophy having a coaching ethos that you are willing to live and die by. However, you have to have the players that will live and die by that. Mm-hmm. We, like Pete Carroll was very fortunate. He inherited 
a franchise which needed to be improved. Hmm. Him and John Schneider did some fantastic drafting in like the third, fourth round. He got some brilliant players and they all bought into this ethos. You know, they all thought, right, brilliant, we're underdogs, let's fucking go prove ourselves, let's take the ball away, let's let's be the suffocating defence that people don't want to play against. And it worked. That ethos was fantastic with that group of players. However, out of that group of players, who's left? None. Well, Bobby. 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 Yeah. That's it. So now he's trying to keep that same ethos that he had with all those people with chips on the shoulders who were natural leaders who wanted to play out of their skin and he's bringing it into this crop of people that they've they've drafted they've brought in from other teams on free agency they've they've drafted a different generation of player now who don't respond to the same type of coaching that pete carroll's giving so pete happy clappy pom pom pete and don't get me wrong i'm sure as a fella if I was to sit down and have a coaching conversation with him, I could get so much out of that. And I've, I've got him on LinkedIn. I think he's a fantastic sort of guy that way. But mm. the way he's so single-minded in what he wants to do isn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. The way that comes from his squad selection, that comes from the hiring of his coaches, that comes from the draft picks that we've made. You know, when when we are the laughing stock of the NFL because we cannot draft a first-round player and make him successful. That's when, obviously, apart from Jordan. Mm. But that that screams to me like something is inherently broken there culturally. And the Mm. fact that the guys don't seem to want to play with that chip on their shoulder and play to prove themselves, that says a lot. I mean, when you see someone like DK, who is so pissed off right now because he's a winner and he's joined what he thought was a winning organisation, which for the last 10 years, we've been perennial playoff. A perennial playoff team, and mm-hmm. this season he's looking at it going, What the fuck has happened? You know, where are we now? I think that's indicative of exactly where we are as a coaching setup and exactly where our players are. DK is from this, this aggressive, thoroughbred NFL family and mindset. Mm-hmm. He wants to win, that's why he gets so aggy, but. He's not going to win if the rest of his team don't have that same mindset and don't have a coach that will nurture that and nurture it to a point where he can also keep it in check. Pete isn't that. Pete is all happy, clappy. I've got my leaders in the team. They'll sort it out, bring these people back in line. That's not what a coach does. A coach sits at the top of the tree. And if someone falls out of line, you're the first person to go, boy, let's have a word. Mm -hmm. And whether that's a word of, wind your fucking neck in, or let me put my arm around you, Pete just doesn't seem to do that. He's always arm round. Whereas when you've got a big six foot four, you know, machine, a mutant like DK Metcalf, some 70 year old guy putting his arm around you when you're what, 23, you're going to be like, nice one. Cheers, mate. Yeah. Thanks for that, that pep talk. That means nothing. It thinks it's a change. So you are, I agree with you on that standpoint. And the evidence to what you were saying there was, the playoff game last year when DK lost his shit, Pete tried talking to him and DK was shredding into him. Like you do that to a Bill Belichick and you're gone the next yeah, day. It doesn't matter how much you are as a talent. Yeah. So he's, he's too friendly. The he's thing is, the, the thing is, the thing is what I would disagree with what you said was Pete Carroll used to 
be have a philosophy. I think Pete Carroll lost himself when he came into the league, like you said, he inherited a, a team who no one thought could do anything. So he had a free pass. He'd been, what, the Patriots and the Jets. And the Jets, for some bizarre reason, everyone's just dying for them to be successful. So this is an impossible job. The Patriots are the fucking Patriots. So he's under pressure from day one. And he flopped at both of them. Comes to us, no pressure. It's the Seahawks up in the Northwest. No one really cares about them. Do you think? Right. Sound. I'm going to get a load of guys with chips on their shoulders because I want them to come into my my man management. My philosophy is express yourself. Be yourself. Wear that chip on your shoulder. Let's go and punish people. What happened to him after he created a monster in the in the LOB? Because I don't think Pete enjoyed them years with them lot in that locker room. Because we saw it all play out. Look at the disrespect at the end. Sherman basically just disrespecting him, whether you want to sugarcoat it or not. Well, it gets a bit boring listening to same old speeches year after year. You kind of lose interest in the massive disrespect because that's Pete's philosophy. Oh, Thomas. Thomas flipping in the oh, bird. Yeah. That is iconic. Right. That that says everything. Right. Cam Chancellor, I don't think I don't think he probably would have had a problem with with Cam Chancellor as he proved he just wouldn't have signed a new contract and just gone. Like he held out, didn't he, that year for the big contract. He probably after that, if he didn't get injured, he probably would have been gone anyway, because he's a he, he looks like a very smart guy. He would have seen the downfall coming and he fucking parachute, see you later, let's get out of here. But once he started system, because the thing, how I look at it with Pete, and I've said it multiple times on and off the podcast, is Pete's systematically broke that bunch of outlaws on defense down. He got rid of Michael Bennett. He rolled. So we say he, he's admitted it. He's rolled Russ's coattails for so many years. But he literally rolled Richard Sherman till he broke him. Mm. He rolled Earl Thomas till he physically and by the looks of it now mentally damaged him. So he's just literally damaged gods. Both of them two, with some of their off-field antics and stuff. Richard Sherman, no, because he's a very intellectual guy, so but not as much. But essentially, physically or mentally, them two are damaged gods now. Because he just rolled them till he fucking took the wheels off them. Because... Mm. In my opinion, he didn't want any smack-talking, loud, brash people on his team anymore because he wanted it all the glory for himself. I do like I like the guy. He's funny, and he comes across like you said, Josh. He comes across very much like you could sit in a room with him and learn so much from him. So I'm not saying I hate him as a person. I just hate what he's become and what he's mm. done because. He didn't want it anymore because he wanted all the glory for himself. He looked at it and went, I can ride Russell Wilson. I don't need them anymore. And look at what he drafted after he lost Sherm, Earl, Cam, Michael Bennett. He drafted a load of people. After all them lot disappeared, two seasons, the two seasons after that, all anyone said was, where's Seattle's? Where's Seattle's ego gone? Where's their fight gone? That's all anyone used to say about that team. And it was clear as day. 
He's literally, he tamed, he created the monster, didn't like it anymore, and he tamed it to how he wanted it. So I don't think he carried the the philosophy he had at the very start. He created a new one where he was in charge. This is the control him. This is the as a college coach when you're coaching youth, and let's face it, lads in college, even though they are huge, they're still kids, right? They they make some of them maybe 21, but they haven't got past the the secondary or adult education stage. So they're still kids. If you've got a coach, everyone calls you coach. Everyone has the utmost respect for you. What they say goes. When you get to the NFL or when you get to any professional sport, you are dealing with adults and adults will have their say. And adults, if if they don't agree with what you say, will speak out. And that's the issue that he had. He had that with, like you said, with Sherm, who is a very articulate, intelligent man. Earl Thomas, who's just a tiny ball of anger and attitude. But again, comes across at times quite intelligent, like you switched on. Cam, very intelligent. you know, And he's got these players that got to a point, I think, where they started speaking out and started disagreeing with, the way the organisation was run, saying this isn't how it started, this isn't what it should be doing, but you need to listen to us as a leadership team. And he didn't. Instead, he listened to Russell Wilson. And Sherm's outright said that, you know, it, it's, this is all a Russell Wilson-Pete Carroll thing. Mm. You know, and because of that, he's now drafted in these players that he thinks are going to give us our ego back, but quite frankly won't. Just because they've got a social media presence doesn't mean that on the pitch they've got an ego. No, you know, he's not going to boost people. What he's doing now, he's clutching because he's trying so hard to. Honestly, how I look at it is he compete, always compete, team, da 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 da. Some of the moves he's made over these last couple of years, and this is a rant I could have all night, so I am very close. I know you could. I, know you I could. do <laughs> not want this to. Carry we've on. Got, we've still got positive pairs left. I know this. I was going to say oh, we've, we've missed loads oh, of points, so we'll have to skip this team. This team is perfectly into positive pairs. Don't worry, okay. it all ties into a nice <laughs> Um But no, the Jamal Adams, the Jamal Adams move, the Jordan Brooks move, because sneakily he's an aggressive little guy. Him, like mm-hmm. he, he hits someone, and even though you're not allowed to taunt anymore, he still. Stands there imposingly, like he's a silent assassin. He, he, he loves a hit. Yeah, yeah. The sort of players Trey like. Brown, Trey Brown, another aggressive thing. Because all I ever see with Pete is he's just trying to keep his head, his own head above water. This whole thing, this whole oh, Russ, um, Pete back then he shipped out all the LOB because of Russ. That's fucking bullshit. Right, it is actual dog shit because Sherm was just Sherm. Do you know? In my opinion, Sherm said that because he didn't get the big contract he wanted, and he, instead mm. he got an L, he got two bad LCA uh, L, ACL players who, and he knew because he's a very clever guy. He's never going to get that big contract he wanted. He's never going to get that contract. Because Russell because they were saving it for Russell contract. Wilson. No, no, but so what? That's right. Oh, what, you're going to pay a, a cornerback the most money on the team? No, you're not going to pay the most money on the team. 
paying what he's worth. And this is what I was saying earlier about paying a quarterback like Russell Wilson, however much money he's on. I, 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 I've literally looked at his contract and was so disgusted, I refused to look at it again. If you're going to pay a quarterback that much, you do not have the money to pay superstars in other positions unless right. you're somehow LA Rams. But this is what I mean. So people like Sherm, Earl Thomas, like you said earlier, Cam Chancellor was obviously intelligent enough to get paid, get injured, and be like, players, you know, there's got to be a reason for the total capitulation of the LLB. And for when you speak to the like the people from the LLB, when you've listened to what they've said after leaving the Seahawks, it all boils down to the same thing. It's that Pete Carroll wanted people that wouldn't say no to him. And he ended up with Russell Wilson, who would quite happily just sing his praises and just crawl further and further up his anus to try and get that, you know, that, that camaraderie and make it his team. Because before... I know you're not liking this, but, you know, before the LLB disbanded, the Seahawks were, everyone knew them for the LLB. They didn't know them for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was our quarterback, and everyone went, he's good, but what about the LLB? Now the LLB is not there. Who do they talk about when they think Seahawks? Can, Russell Wilson. Can, can I ask you a question then? No, because, because that's a lie then. This is gonna. This is this is gotten to me. Because we're never gonna get positive Pez back here, I'm, James. Sorry. I'm Russell Wilson, right? I've got my Russell Wilson head on. I, I'm wor- I'm worried about my legacy. I'm worried about essentially when I finish this game, what I've achieved. I've at this moment, in current moment in time, I've been to two Super Bowls and I've won one, but I get no credit for any of them. So why would I then, when all I want to do is win, why would I then want to get rid of the number one defense in the league who's dominant and cannot be stopped? But I want to win football games and I want to get more Super Bowl rings and I want to, you know, legacy. But do you know what the best thing is? I'm going to just ship off all my defense. All let's my top guys. To, let's bring it back to quarter four of the Green Bay game. Right? Quarter four of the Green Bay game was the Russell Wilson show. That was Russell Wilson wanted to carry the franchise on his shoulders. The defence was serviceable and we, they did enough. 17 points against Green Bay. That's pretty fucking good in my opinion and in anyone's opinion. Right? But Russell Wilson wanted to carry that team on his shoulders then. In fourth quarter, when he usually excels, and if you look at his PFF rankings and his ratings, Fourth quarter is Russell Wilson time. That is it. Right? And he wanted to do the same thing. Couldn't give a shit about the defence. They've done their bit. But Russell Wilson wants to carry this team. And don't get me wrong, as an elite athlete like he is, I understand it. You know, he, he is by far one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But I can also see, as we were saying, where the team got disrupted because... He wanted that payday. He wanted, and Pete wanted to have that team that we're all on Pete's plan. And when you've got outspoken defensive players who are naturally aggressive, as you have to be in defence, booking that trend, you're getting shipped out. And you're going to go with the guy who says yes. I've picked captains before, and I've picked one captain who used to say no to me all the time. And she was a dick. 
I loved her to bits, but every time I made a suggestion, I used to coach women's rugby. She said, no, Josh, I don't agree with it. The girls don't like it. I was like, why? We used to have massive arguments. The rest of my captains were easy to get along with because it was easy for me. It was right towards the end of my coaching career that I picked the one who said no to me because I've, I had this epiphany that I needed that, whereas Pete doesn't seem to have that. Pete has cleared out all of the naysayers and he's now got this, this yes man. As his team captain. So, it's not right. Okay. So, oh, J- name... Jamie, you've got loads of editing to do here, by the way. <laughs> name the defence. No, because... Like, you're making very valid points, and I can understand it. The, the thing is, Earl Thomas and Sherm were the two most outspoken people on that defence. And... I personally think they were the two... Bum hard, like the ones who had their egos hurt the most because of their injuries, and they essentially restricted their big payday. And I totally get what you mean about the whole like yes man Russell Wilson situation, but I think you're giving you you're giving Pete Carroll like too much leniency on this. You name a defense that can sustain what the Seahawks defence sustained for any further where they got to. So you've got to look at it. Pete looks at it and goes, am I going to ride my defence or am I going to ride a quarterback who could take... Which one is going to take me further? The difference is, in coaching, you don't have a mass clear out. You adjust a couple of players. If you see one player, like for example, if Richard Sherman had reached his shelf life and you were like, you're too injured, I can't keep you, that's fine. Keep the rest from sweet, replace Richard Sherman with someone who will do his job. Keep the rest from there. Not have this wholesale change where in the space of what, a year and a half, two years, the LLB, gone. Right? Mm. You need, as a good coach, you should be looking to backfill those gaps. So if you've got someone of Sherman, Thomas, Chancellor, Wagner's, you know, calibre, you then need to look at who's next. They always preach next up, but that was never preached when the LLB started going down. So when Thomas left, who was next up? Bradley McDougal. No, because, yeah, but right, that, that was that's, because, that's, like, like, like we said, that you can't then put that on Russ. That's Pete. I'm putting this solely on Pete. I'm putting this on Pete's coaching philosophy and the way he is. He wanted that yes man to be his captain and to stay there and to ride his coattails further. So you've got to think the LLB took him what took him a certain way, and then the rest of it, Russell Wilson saw his coattails. And I'm not taking that away from him. But I'm taking I'm putting this now firmly on the coach who sh- should have backfilled in those positions to keep it strong on a continual basis, as opposed to just fucking imploding it, it basically detonated, like, all of those stag-do WhatsApp groups that you see, right? He just got rid, and there was nothing ever said about it. It was just like, oh, the LLB are no more. And then you look at these players that have gone on to play elsewhere, and you think, well, why couldn't we have got rid of that one because he was too injured or wasn't serviceable, and then got someone else in his place? You know, we had a functional defence. Why didn't we go, Sherman's gone? That means our, our priority in this draft is a cornerback to replace Sherman. And then you go, Earl Thomas has gone. Our priority, either by trade or by draft, is the safety. 
and done it that way. Instead, everyone just fucking went in a one It was literally in the space of two seasons. The whole LLB had gone. I mean, but but before we before we finish on, on positive pairs, I'll, I'll just, <laughs> to, to wrap this sort of segment up, I mean, in my opinion, I'll, I'll just say two quick things. Like, the crux of it is you, you can have all the, like, I completely get every single one of these points, but just for, to, to strip it down to the very basics, at the very least that it is now, Pete Carroll's thing, the way he caught, isn't working anymore. So what do you do when it, when something stops working? You make a The NFL is a constantly adapting league. We see it in all of professional sports. Once something's not working, it's like Arsene Wenger with Arsenal, Sir Alex Ferguson with Man United in, in our versions of, of, of football. Even the top, it happens to all the top, look at Bill Belichick, it happens to all the top coaches. Once something stops working, you either have to find a way to adapt and, and introduce something new, or you don't, and then you get stuck in your, and, and that's what we're seeing with Pete Carroll. It, it, there's no more, there's no evolution, there's no adaptation, there's no new head coach to take this team in a different direction. So it, at the very crux of it, Pete Carroll, the way he coaches, it's a, it's with a different team, it doesn't work anymore, Then and it, if it's it's like anything even in business the top business if, if they if the top businessmen are making their money in a certain industry and then all of a sudden that industry goes to shit and they're not and they don't start you know they lose all the money the best you know in order to keep making money you've got to find a new way to to make money so they react and, and they're going to different it, it's the same with it it's like pete carroll's ways and methods aren't working it's vanilla they don't work anymore so you so it, it it's you've got to then move it's, on you've got to be reactive it's darwinism it's darwinism it's hmm. adapt or die Unfortunately, Pete hasn't adapted. Exactly, and and I'll I don't wish him that. dead. Just just for any listeners, well, yeah. I do not wish Pete Carroll to, to pop his clogs. Yeah, well, like I say, we, we we respect everything that he's done. He's he's arguably the best coach in the He's won us the Super Bowl. Completely yeah. get that, but time's finished in my opinion. And I'll also say there's a little conspiracy that I have about that always compete more. <laughs> I mean, look look, take take the word "com" out of that. What is it? It's always Pete. It's always Pete. That's his motto. It's always Pete. Oh, oh. Mind blown. Always Pete. Oh, oh, oh. So I'll drop. I'll drop that bombshell and leave positive pairs to end the podcast. Right. So the on, positive. Man. This whole last little segment is quite funny. Like me and Joshua literally arguing about the same point. But in different contexts, <laughs> I found very funny. We're both hating Pete, but arguing with each other different back points. and forth about different things to do with hating Pete. The reason why you hate but, Pete. But that brings into the new segment. All this, in my opinion, like we've just been blown out, and like we've literally couldn't stay away from the positive we've taken out of this game is. It's just another stone on top of Pete's head. So it's another another step closer to the end of Pete yep. Carroll. That's, so, that's the positive. As 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 fans, we hate it. It's not nice. But like I said, I'm not even mad or angry anymore. I was confused at the game. Like I was more confused at Russ and what he was thinking. But I'm not bothered anymore because the more shit like that what happens, the more it's all on top of Pete's head. And James, you said it nicely. In any sport, whether your owner doesn't care about your franchise or not, it cannot be disguised anymore. It's a glaring, horrible hole she's not going to be able to run away from anymore. 
there's going to be someone at the higher, higher archy of this club who's going to say, listen, Jody, you might not care about sports, but you really think Paul it built this team to watch it crumble the way it's crumbling? That's Agreed. my positive spin on it all. So, uh, to be fair, I, I was I was scratching my head and I was a little bit worried about what 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 could positive players come up with after after that green beard defeat. It's a good way to introduce that little alter ego thing. It's, 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 it's like a grim bit of positivity, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, right, we'll, yeah. Carry, we'll carry on losing, but on the plus side, <laughs> Pete might go. <laughs> Another positive about it was oh, where sorry. like Josh mentioned about that in the fourth quarter, the last drive we had, where Russ felt like he wanted to take it on his shoulders. Another thing to add to what I just said then, where I think it actually could happen, I've actually got optimism, Pete might be gone, is the simple fact is, Pete never gives up, but didn't use a single time out, because he gave up. He literally was defeated on the sideline. He had no more ideas, and I don't see that last drive as Russ going out there as a him wanting to be ego, I honestly think he looked at him when I think he was so pissed off of himself. I looked at him, the methodical, systematic way that drive was put together. Like I said to you two off air, it reminded me of that Panthers game where his headset went down and he called the shots. Now, go and watch that last drive, and he actually spread the ball better in that drive. You could say the Packers, the Packers gave up or whatever. They 17 up. They didn't give a shit anymore. Prevent. You can say whatever you want. They were still trying, in my opinion. And he moved the chains so consecutively that, for me, that little drive shows to me that Russell Wilson actually isn't broke. It's the system and the philosophy what's dead. And the system and philosophy... All lands on Pete's head. I, I think he lost that challenge with the with the uh, recovered fumble, and then he he lost that, and he's like, "Oh, well, I, I, that that was the turning point. That was but, when his his head went. I'm not I'm not asked for this anymore." I think that's a good point in the timeline. But is there anything else? Any any more positives that you want to add before we wrap it up, Pete? No, they're my no. two points. They're my two, two points. So I'm taking away from that game. Well, to be fair, you've done well for for a, a shootout in in Green Bay. You've done well to get two positive in that last segment. So, <laughs> fair play to you. Um, but no, so we've uh, that's that's been another episode of the We Talk Seahawks podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening yet again. Um, should, we, should we inform them about the the plan for the Twitter lives, Pez? In terms of, of yeah. get it off your chest, yeah. Um, yeah, let's go for it. We've decided to sort of start the get it off your chest thing and move that to like Twitter lives now um, just to try and get some like more of you more easily involved and, and, and people listening to us easier. And plus we're having, we've been having problems with Spotify green room, which is the app that we were using to do it anyway. That's just been losing recordings. It's just an absolute nightmare. Um, we'll thank you. Like, it. Yeah. It, it's still in beta or something and it's just been useless. And we just thought, well, you can go live on Twitter. 
if it's not recorded, it won't become its own sort of little like podcast segment. It's just going to be a space where we can let you guys come on and just talk to us on Twitter for an hour, hour and a half or so. Um, like I say, it won't be recorded or anything like that. You can just hop in and hop out. Um, and hopefully that'll be an easy way to get more of you guys listening and involved in the live section of our podcast. Um, so we're probably going to be doing that on, on Friday nights going forward to replace the get it off your chest time that we would do that would just just literally just move into to twitter um so you don't have to install spotify green room if you've had it installed you can uninstall it i'm, I'm probably i'm sure you probably already have if you did because it's absolutely useless um but yeah um so yeah that, that that's the plan with that section of the uh, of the podcast going forward but hey we've done well tonight we, we we could have gone a lot further in on on certain players and individuals but we've, we've had a nice balance of rant statistics and, and players who came out with credit and no credit and a few conspiracies jumped in just just the standard <laughs> just the standard stuff on the we talk seals podcast. um what an intro to podcasting for me it's been brilliant now lads I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this again hopefully we can uh, get some more people in and uh, get them listening to us as well and hopefully get some more opinions so that's yeah, what it's about. That's it's a it. podcast for the fans. Bye, fans. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And uh, hey, if you want to come and have a chat about the next big game, the Cardinals coming up this week. I mean, that's an it. Should we do a quick score prediction for the for around that for the Cardinals? What what do we oh, what do we think before we, before we sign off? Um, I don't think Kyler Murray's going to play. Um, Colt McCoy's fucked. Uh, they're going to have to find something. So. I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is going to play yeah, because the Rams yeah. lost. I really think they're just going to try and get everyone healthy for after their bye week. I reckon we're going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win. The defense is clicking. The defense yeah. is clicking. So any, even though the pass rush isn't that great, any other quarterback than Kyler Murray, our defense is going to cause them all kinds of issues. I predict Russ is going to get right. Um, the run game is probably going to get established a lot more. Um, and I think we're going to put up 30 points. I don't wow. know an actual score, but I think we're going to put 30-plus points wow. There's I your think third positive. I think DK is going to go off this game. Tyler or DK, one of them, or the both field. of them. Projected. Probably. <laughs> but, yeah. I've got a, a very simple 28-13 Seahawks. I'm going... I'm going to go didn't, four, converted, didn't, four yeah. converted TDs and they're going to end up with one TD and then two penalties or two field oh, goals. Like I had us getting battered for what it's worth, but that's, that's fair enough. I mean, <laughs> if, 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 if Kyler and D-Hop and uh, Watt were in there, mm. then I would be a lot more sceptical, but that's their three, three of their best players out. Do you know what? So, yeah, they're out. It's not at State Farm, so we're not playing on a curse field. It's that, it's that home. Ah, you might have convinced me that we might win. I don't know. It, it, it's going to be a close game, I think, either way. But, um, yeah, if you just want to come on and have your say next week on the, on the back of that, you can, you're more than welcome. We'll probably be live on the Friday night around about between 7 or 8 o'clock. We'll go live at some point and that'll be on Twitter and you can jump in and have your say on the We Talk Seahawks podcast. But, lads, for tonight, that's been it. And I hope you've enjoyed it. And I hope everyone else has enjoyed listening. It's been good again. Pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure, mate. Well, until next time, let's hope for a little bit of a better performance this weekend. And uh, a point would be nice, eh?
I don't, I don't particularly like shutouts. They're not for me. I'm not, I'm not a Jets fan. I'm not a Lions fan. I don't like shutouts. So let's, uh, let's hope we can get something, something going on offense this week, anyway. But uh, no, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, go Hawks as always. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.